Thanks for tuning in to the Change Church Podcast. We believe change is more than a church. It's a culture. And we are living out our purpose so that others can find theirs. We hope that this message encourages and inspires you. Now, here's Pastor Elijah Hollis. Today. And I want to I wanna challenge us in our hearts to be revived today. And let me just tell you what I'm praying, okay? I was praying all week. I was absolutely wrecked by this word. So if I am very passionate about it, that is why. Because it is like literally when Elijah says, like, it's a fire shut up in my bones. Like, right? Isn't it Elijah, right? In the Bible, yeah. It's like, it's like in me, okay? I was like, did I just pull that name because it's my husband? I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was him. Oh, Jeremiah. Oh, I did just pull that name because it's my husband. Okay. Fire shut up in my bones. And I believe that today, if we allow, is going to be a day that pivotally shifts our personal lives and our corporate church. I 100% believe that. But I will tell you, there are so many times through history that God has done incredible revivals. You can either start a revival, you can be open and be a part of a revival, or you can be critical of a revival. There are three places you can find yourself. And I want to invite you today, and I want to ask you before we even get started, where are you? Do you want to start a revival in your own life? Are you kind of open to it? I mean, it might be cool. I'll like check it out. Maybe it'll be fun. Or are you critical? I don't know about that. I don't know. Can God really do that? I mean, I read about it. I mean, I heard about it, but can he really do it? I want to invite you to open your eyes, open your minds, open your ears beyond normal church. Beyond, I came in to go to church to see my friends, get a cool, encouraging word, and then I'm going to go rock out my week. I believe God wants to absolutely transform us. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Ezekiel 37. We've been studying Nehemiah as a church. We've been a little bit digging into that and the rebuilding of the wall and how God called Nehemiah and what he did and the problems he had both in his community and from the outside. Come on, somebody. Anyone else felt that inside and outside? But I want to dig into Ezekiel chapter 37 today as we talk about revival. You see, what's fascinating is revival is actually never mentioned in the Bible. Revival is something that we have created in the modern day church. And I don't know if you've ever been a part of a revival. Maybe you've seen a revival. Maybe you've heard of a revival. A lot of times, unless you've experienced it personally, we think of revivals as this big show, right? It's like we are all here and we are all like digging in and the lights are going and the music's loud and people are falling on the altar. I mean, like that's how we picture revival. Yes, that could be an outward demonstration. And I will never criticize someone's outward demonstration, but it starts inward. It starts inside of us. Friends, we're going to put in the best lights and audio we can in this space, and I'm so excited, but that's not going to bring revival. And this building is super awesome, and we can have so many people in here, and we have kids' rooms and doors and blah, 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 but that's not going to bring revival. Revival is inside of us. You see, when 
Elijah was praying last January and he sent this voice recording and it went, I think he sent it to Sean, I think he sent it to Doc, and here's exactly what he said. Hey, God told me to find a warehouse, to gather people in worship and dedicate ourselves to him and I'm going to show my glory. That was God's promise, that was God's call to Elijah last January. It was not find a warehouse, so that you don't have to set up anymore and you can be done with your trailer. It wasn't find a warehouse so that lots of people can just come. There were two parts to this command. God said, find a warehouse so that people can gather, dedicate themselves to me, and I'm gonna show my glory. And I think today starts that pivotal transformation in our lives where we found the warehouse, yay, so that's exciting. And now, God wants to show his glory in this space. I want to dig into Ezekiel 37. If you have it open, let's read it together. I love stories of the Old Testament. Some of you know that. I'm just, it's like way better than even Hollywood could ever create. Okay. Um, Ezekiel 37, start in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. See how he puts it back on God? Isn't that so fascinating? He's like, I mean, you know better than me. I think so. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together bone to bone. So wild, you guys. I wish I could. Oh, I can't even wait to get to heaven. Okay. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. This is revival at its finest. This is restoration like we've never seen. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. I have done it. This scripture is all about breath. It's all about the spirit of God breathing into what was dead. 
what was completely written off. You know what's fascinating about Ezekiel? What's fascinating is that he was a priest. And so he would know this, right? As he was here and he's like um, an Israelite, they had to have proper burials in that time. If you did not have a proper burial, it was actually a disgrace to somebody to not have a proper burial. That's why Ezekiel would be standing here looking at this valley of dead bones like, this is so disgraceful. All of these people have not had proper burials, but he looks at what was disgraced and dead and written off and thrown into a valley. And God asked him, can these dead bones live? And Ezekiel says, yes. Have you ever found yourself there where you're like, God says, do you trust me? And you say, yes, of course I trust you. And then there's like part two to that calling. Has anyone ever been there? And it's like, yes, I believe these bones can live. And then God says to Ezekiel, then prophesy to them. What if you're standing there? It's like, yeah, God, I mean, if you ask it, you can do anything. Like, yeah, I'm pretty sure they can live. And then God says, prophesy to these dead bones. Now there's an action. Now there's an act of obedience that is required for the actual literal revival of these bones to take place. It is a trust and it is an act of obedience. I want to look at this because I, I believe, and as I was really praying through this, everything costs us something. I was going through it this week and I was talking with Elijah, you know, you can choose... I can choose to have a great marriage, but it costs me something. Or I can choose to have an affair, but it costs me something. I can choose to have friends and build relationships, but it's going to cost me something. It's going to cost me time. It's going to cost me energy. Or I can choose to sit at home and be alone, but that's going to cost me something. I can choose to be healthy and work out, and that's going to cause me, cost me pain, inconvenience, all the things. That's a cost. Or I can choose to be lazy and unhealthy, and there's a cost to that. There is a cost to everything in our life. Amen. What God began to challenge me with is there is a cost to revival. Yeah. It's inconvenient. It's out of the box. It's going to require something different of us individually. That is the cost of revival. But there's also a cost to rhythm Christianity. You come in and you go out and you clock in and you clock out and I help with what I'm supposed to help with and I give what I'm supposed to give. There's a cost to that. And I guess my question today, what I would ask each of us is, what cost are you willing to pay? everything in your life right now how about this it costs us to drive like lord knows how much money it costs us to drive right now but it also costs you to walk right there's a cost to drive and there's a cost to walk everything go through it in your life there's a cost to go back to school but there's a cost if you choose not to continue growing there's a cost to every decision you're ever going to make and so today I want to ask, in light of revival, looking at that, there's a cost to revival and there's a cost to rhythm Christianity. Which would you rather pay for?
Which would you rather pay for? Would you rather pay the cost of revival, that it's going to be maybe inconvenient, and maybe it's going to be out of your comfort zone, and maybe it's going to require something of you? Or would you rather pay the cost of rhythm Christianity and have the mundane and know exactly what you're going to expect and exactly what you're going to get? You have two choices. As I was looking up revival, this is the literal definitions of revival. There are four definitions, okay, according to dictionary.com. Number one, restoration to life, consciousness, vigor, and strength. Number two, restoration to use, acceptance, or currency. Number three, an awakening in a church or community of interest in and care for matters relating to personal religion. And number four, an evangelistic service or a series of services for the purpose of affecting a religious awakening. Now, if you've been in the church for maybe a hot minute, you know that typically for revival, we skip to those last two definitions, don't we? And that's not bad. They are the definitions of revival. There is nothing wrong with that. I love revival services. Some of you may not know, um, some of you may, Elijah's family actually traveled from when he was seven years old. They sold everything, went on the road, and did music and ministry and held revival services. They would go to a different church for like Sunday through Wednesday. Then they would drive somewhere different, then do Sunday through Wednesday. That's how we met. Our dads were roommates in college. They came through and held revival services at our church every year from when I was seven, Elijah was nine. And so there is nothing wrong with revival services. Those are powerful times together. God flows and moves incredibly. But I want to talk today about the first two definitions, because I think sometimes we like skip over those. Sometimes we say revival and we're like, yes, when we get the altar up and the lights on and the music going and we have five hours and we have a revival service. But today I want to talk about restoration to life, restoration to consciousness, restoration to use, acceptance, or currency. Because revival is not a recipe Revival is not if you put on these songs and Sean, if you'll sing these five songs and Elijah, if you'll preach this message, then we will have revival. Revival is an outward demonstration of something that's happening inside of us. And I believe that as individuals in this church, I believe God wants to revive us. I believe that today he wants to revive us from maybe somewhere we've been, maybe some things that we've allowed to slip, maybe some things that we've gotten comfortable with. Maybe it's kneeling down and saying, I'm going to get rid of some perceptions I had. I'm going to lay down some hurt that I've carried. I'm going to lay down some anxieties that I've allowed to take hold in my life. I'm going to lay down things because I will tell you, revival is 1000% your choice. Devin and I were talking about this yesterday. God gave us free will. That is the beautiful thing of the God we serve. He gave us the opportunity to be revived, but he also gave you the opportunity to sit and have things just like you've always had them. That's your choice. And that's not bad. That's the beautiful thing of God. But it's going to require an act of obedience from us to be revived. 
And so I want to dig in. I want to really dig into this. And if you have your notes or your phone, maybe you want to write this down. Um, I have some things written in here. That is, how do we start a personal revival? How do you start a personal revival? It sounds good. Does anyone else feel a little bit tired? Anyone else sometimes feel a little bit discombobulated? I'll be totally honest with you, I felt that. I know, I think I mentioned this, but we actually have a client that is in the Ukraine right now. And so navigating through that on a close basis, it can feel like a weight. Navigating with people here in America, friends and family that have lost jobs and lost companies over this past couple years of COVID, sometimes it can feel draining. Sometimes it can feel, I'm so exhausted. Sometimes looking and planning ahead, if you don't know, I am an avid planner, like really, really avid planner. I have like a one, three, five, 10 year goals. I love goals. I love achieving goals. I love crossing things off the list. Sometimes that's hard for me right now because sometimes it's hard to say, what am I planning? What am I going? I don't even know what it's going to look like in one year, three years, five years. Sometimes those things can weigh me down. And so I really prayed as I was preparing this message, God, what does it look like for me, Ashley Hollis, to start a revival? Not to come into church and host service, hand out invite cards. Cool, we did what we're supposed to do. No, God, what does it look like to remain in awe of you? What does it look like to be in such reverence that I'm not coming to work and going out or clocking in and clocking out and okay, cool, I checked off my list. What does it look like to have an undeniable passion for revival, to revive me to use, to revive me to the use that God created me for? What does that look like? And so that's what God gave me and I wanna write this down. Number one is prayer. Every great revival starts on your knees, everywhere. And sometimes we move past that, and sometimes we neglect that, and sometimes we wait for a good word from Elijah, and sometimes we come in, and though it is amazing words, we can say, ah, was it this, was it that, well, what I really needed to hear. And can I tell you the beautiful thing is, God gave each of us access to his word each of us access to his presence. We come corporately to grow, but revived personally on a daily basis. Number one is prayer. You can't cleanse, you can't have vision, you can't have anything without prayer. And so if you're feeling a little bit exhausted, a little bit dead, a little bit, where am I going? What's next? What am I gonna do? I'd invite you, number one, start with prayer. What does that look like? And that looks like sitting in your room. That looks like go on Spotify and literally search Worship 2022. There's a whole playlist. (laughs) Turn it on and just say, God, I love you. Thank him. Maybe you want to thank him for what he's done in your life. Maybe there's some questions you have. You know, it's okay to bring your questions to God. We talk to the kids. We talk to Leticia all the time. Hey, Bring your questions to us. Let's navigate through things together. Isn't that beautiful? That's what God does. He gives us the ability to come and to navigate with him in prayer. And then sometimes prayer looks like shutting up. 
and letting him speak. Because we can do so much talking. And then how many have ever been guilty of like, I don't know, God hasn't spoken to me. It's like, have you allowed him a breath? Have you, can he get a word in edgewise? Or is he like, okay, my child, I will listen. But I can't even say anything. Number one is prayer. Number two is awareness to the things of God. I began to um, really study. Now, I am not a psychologist. I will own this. So there are people far smarter in the building than me. But I began to research with Dr. Caroline Leaf, everything she's written, about perceptual sets. Okay? I don't know a lot about them. But here's what I learned as I began to research. They have done mass amounts of study that have shown the way you've seen things will always frame the way you're gonna see them in the future, okay? So it's actually fascinating. Again, you need to do your own research on this, but what's fascinating is if I had an interaction, let's say with Danielle, and it was a, it was a cool interaction, whatever, I don't know how long it was, whatever, but when Danielle and I ended that, that interaction, even if it was like a confrontation, if it ends good and exciting, then going into my next confrontation, I can say, this is probably gonna end good. Because I set, there was a set that makes me look at something. And I wonder how we are and how we've become aware of God's presence and what he's capable of. Have we taken that to the Bible? Or are we choosing our awareness based on our perceptual sets? One time I prayed for this and I felt so abandoned and so alone and I didn't know what I had and I just didn't feel like God showed up. So now when I move forward, I don't know if God's a present God because my perceptual set tells me God might not show up. So I have to overcome that. I have to retrain that. Dr. Caroline Leaf says it actually takes 63 days to reset the way you're looking at something. Very fascinating. I, again, I'm not claiming to be an expert. I'm incredibly grateful for science. I believe in doctors and scientists and all the things God used every person to write biblical, biblical books. And so it's very fascinating. But can you imagine it would take you 63 days to reset how you view God right now? Are you aware of what he's capable of? I mean, when we read this scripture in Ezekiel, like I have never seen a valley of dry bones come to life. And so therefore, when I've walked through, and let's just call it what it is, okay? These past two years, I've listened to COVID stories, I've watched trucks come in that are taking people who have passed away, and I have watched war after war, and attack after attack, and I have never seen God just raise a valley of dead bones. And so that is my perceptual set over here. And so now, in step two, if I wanna have a personal revival, I have to retrain my brain to be aware of what God is capable of. Why do we have people that might be critical of revival? I think it comes back to this, friends. I don't think it's our fault. I don't think it's that any of us think, oh, well, God can't do it, and I don't believe in God anymore. I don't think that. I think that we have these mindsets 
that we've just decided, I can live with that. This is my normal. And maybe that's cool, Ashley, that God provided for you like that, but I tried to start a company and it didn't go like that. So I'm not sure if God can do that. Number two, God brought me so back to becoming aware of his presence, to being in awe of who he is. If you want to become in awe and aware of what God is capable of, pick up your Bible, read your Bible, find a reading plan, do the read the Bible in a, you know, a year, do it in, I don't even know, three months, whatever plan, however um, eager you are, get audible and listen to it on your way to work. It doesn't matter. Pick it up and look. God spoke and things happened. We serve a God who is capable. We serve a God who took five loaves and two fish and provided food. And I know we've been there where it's hard. We've been there where it's confusing. But I want to ask us, number two, to put down those perceptual sets and become aware of what God is capable of. Who is he for real? Who is he and what's he capable of? And then number three, to do an inventory. Where are you compared to what God can do? It's like an audit. Anyone ever do an audit? You go through an audit and you say, what do we have and what do we is possible, right? We do this in the church. We do this in our company. We do this financially. There are so many different ways. You go through and you say, if this, now I'm aware of what God can do. But when I take inventory, here's where I am. And that's going to show me the room that I have to grow. That's going to show me the room where God can revive me. Because maybe I haven't experienced that kind of freedom. I'm living here. And maybe God wants to revive that in us. Number four, we have to humble ourselves. You know, revival will come to those, Sean, I love it that you said that scripture. That was one of the scriptures that God had given me this week. There are countless times through scripture that God speaks, who will ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. All through scripture, God deals with the heart. There's a scripture where I was studying out in Proverbs, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lives, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. You know what's incredible about this scripture? I began to study it out. What would it look like if we were a people of purity? A people that had clean hands and a pure heart. Do you know this scripture is actually an example of what they call numerical parallelism? This is very fascinating. If you want to study this, if you're looking for some light reading. Um, in Hebrew poetry, they, the writers would use this. They would do six things the Lord hates, seven things the Lord tests. There are three of this, yet four of that. You might have seen this all through. It's very prevalent in Psalms and Proverbs. 
What is the reason for that? Because it was their way of saying it's a building. It's a saying there are six things the Lord hates, seven he detests. It's building to the last one that is the most prevalent. It would be like me saying there are four things we need to do, five that have to get done right away. And I'm going, 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 and then I'm like, but honestly, it's all the painting. Like I built you all the way up to where we are. That's what this scripture is a symbol of. It is a symbol of what we inward have to release. You know, there was this one time I remember when I was out of high school, before I went to college, I took a gap year and I went and did a master's commission. It is like a leadership training school. And so it's ministry leadership training, very driven on excellence. We had Mondays off, but if anything happened during the week, you had Monday school, which means you came to clean the church. So like we are talking down to, this is why I will like forever be about excellence. If you've ever heard me talk about this for every minute, we were late to something. We had an hour of Monday school. So if class started at nine o'clock, if you were there at nine Oh three, you were in the building for three hours on Monday, cleaning up. If you did not push in your chair, straighten up your books, all these different things. You know what I loved about that? It wasn't legalistic. It wasn't like, I think sometimes we get that um, perception because we want to be such individuals, right? That we're like, oh, that's so rule, so legalistic. No, it's actually taught us as leaders the value of excellence, the value of doing everything. If we believe the scripture, we have to believe all of it, that we are doing everything unto the Lord. And so everything is scriptural unto the Lord. But I will tell you, so we did this leadership school and we were there normal uh, September through May and we were going to be going over to Thailand and we were going to be spending time in Thailand. We were going to be um, starting in Bangkok, ministering there to those who were um, in trafficking. And so we would go into Bangkok down into the alleys and do that. We worked our way up to Chiang Mai, where we worked with an orphanage and took care of children um, who were orphaned and loved them and cared for them. And then we rode these um, trucks and elephants up into the hill tribes on the Tiburmese border and stayed in like bamboo huts with bug nets, couldn't shower for a couple weeks, like the whole to do, okay? And so we were about to go into this kind of ministry opportunity. But Thailand, if you... Um, are not aware, Thailand is also a place where there is a very, very prevalent, um, I don't know what you would call it, of the spiritual world, right? That's why actually when you see in Thai postcards, pictures, you know the houses with like the swoop, like that kind of thing that we see in all the pictures? Um, do you know that was so that the evil spirits would rush off your house? You had the gold house little pedestal thing out in your front yard, and every time we met with people, it broke my heart. Every time we met with people, they would go, oh, I gotta go, I gotta go put this on the house. I gotta appease the spirits so they don't attack me. And there were these houses on the side of the highway that you honked at to, to like get the spirits to go to that house instead of my house. It was a very fear-based culture, but they lived in fear of demonic spirits. And it was very prevalent, it was very real. And I saw things that I think you probably watch in Hollywood films, right? But that's what we were going into. And I remember our leader had this one night where we were having a prayer time and we were just praying before we went as a team. There was maybe 15, 20 of us and we were praying. And he said, listen, I feel on my heart, revival happens where there is unity. 
And we have to be unified to move into this ministry time. And he said, we're not going to close out this prayer time until we're unified. There are some things that have to be cared for. There are some things that have to be cleaned. There are some things that have to be put out of our lives. There are some things that have to be made right between individuals. This has to be done before we move into what God has for us to do. Can I tell you, number four, there are some things in each of us that God needs to purify so that he can do a revival in us. This is why we take an audit. We say, do I have the right motives? Am I looking at this correctly? Do I have fair expectations? Do I love people the way I'm supposed to love people? Do I speak with the words I'm supposed to speak? It's an audit. It's a cleaning of ourselves. Step number five for a personal revival is the reverence for the word of God. The definition of reverence is literally a feeling or attitude of deep respect tinged with awe. The outward manifestation of this feeling to pray reverence, the state of being revered or treated with respect. What does your reverence for God and his word look like? That's not a negative. I'm not saying this to come down on this. God has been absolutely wrecking me these past couple weeks, saying, is my heart right? Do I read the Bible with awe and wonder and expectation? Do I look at this as the reverent and holy word of God? Because you know, if we look at that, if we're gonna believe any of the Bible, if you have decided I gave my heart to God, I believe that Jesus Christ was the son of God, he came to earth to give himself so that I can be restored to life in heaven. If you choose to believe that, then you have to believe all of it because it's, it's all or nothing. So we can't choose, I would prefer the New Testament, but the Old Testament's a little meh. Or like, eh, 1 Corinthians, I don't know, he kind of like talks to the problems in the church and I'd rather not deal with that. I'd rather go to like First and Second Timothy, where he's talking to young leaders and exhorting them and stuff. No, it's pulling it all in, right? And so if we believe all of this, then I just ask us, you know, the scriptures say the power of life and death is in the tongue. What are you speaking over your life? What are you speaking over the lives of your friends and family? For me as a parent, what am I speaking over the lives of my children? What am I speaking over the lives of every individual that's gonna come into this church? What am I speaking over the lives of every individual that I talk to on the street that is gonna be difficult and defiant and angry? What are the words that I'm speaking? And I wonder when is the last time that we read the Bible with wonder and awe, that it wasn't something you checked off your list, it wasn't something you needed to get done because it's like, oh, I haven't done devotions in a while, grab that, let's dig into Nehemiah. When was the last time you sat down and said, wow, God did that. God is capable of that. And if he did that in the Bible, what could he do in me? What kind of power lives in me? 
What does that look like for you personally? When you go into your life, when you go into this week, when you go into con conversations at work, when you go into having fun with your friends and hanging out, what does that look like to be in awe and wonder of God? Number six, perspective. You know, I shared Ezekiel 37. And I think about us with perspective. What is the perspective through which you view things? When we're revived to use, when something is brought back to its purpose, it's able to accomplish, it's able to do, and I just feel like maybe, just maybe, God wants today to be a day that's not just another Sunday for any of us, it's not just another day that we come and we say, okay, cool, I had this time and I did my worship and we had funny communion and there we are. Maybe it's a day God wants to revive you to your purpose. Maybe he wants to shift your perspective. Maybe he asks, and this is number seven, an act of obedience. What does that look like for you personally? An act of obedience in your life that when God calls you to do something when God calls you to do something that's out of the ordinary or maybe it's new or maybe it feels a little bit different what does that look like for you it's your choice that puts us right back at the beginning see how it's this nice little um, little circle that we go in and we have all these choices and then we come back to where God gives us a choice God, would you shake what needs to be shaken? When I was little, we went to Colorado and we panned for gold. I mean, the little thing, you like pay $5, it's not real. But like, you go up to the river, you know, and like they give you this little mesh thing and it's like so fun, you feel so cool. And then you like put it down in the water and you shake it, right? And you shake things out so that all the pebbles and the sand and all that stuff goes down so that you're left with the gold. And then of course, as a kid, we're like, we got gold! I'm like, whatever, it's probably like gold painted rocks, but that's okay. And so we shook it all out and we shook things out and that's been my prayer. God, would you shake in us what needs to be shaken? That way the gold is what remains. That way our heart of purity and our words of love and affirmation are what remains. In the act of obedience, you see, we move forward to the New Testament because that's what's beautiful is in Ezekiel, and I want to end with this. In Ezekiel 37, he had a choice to make, right? When God said, then prophesy to these dead bones, not knowing what was to come, not knowing this was actually the phrase used here, and I want to share this. The phrase used here was ruach, which was the Hebrew word for spirit, breath, life. Those words were all wrapped up in the word ruach. It was to breathe into, to give breath to. We see that when we fast forward to Acts 2 in the Greek. We see the same word. It was the wind that blew. It was in the, in the terms of revival. That's why I asked him, can we sing that song? Because I believe it's by no mistake that God gave that song to this church in 2019. The winds of revival. Can you feel it? 
And so here's how I want to end today. If you would bow your head and close your eyes. I believe God wants to revive us as individuals. I believe he wants to renew us today. And so I just want, I asked Sean if he could just turn on some worship music. And I just want to invite you. We have this space of grass up here. And I say all the time, you've heard it a hundred million times. If you want to see something you've never seen, you have to do something you've never done. And I believe that God wants to revive us today. I believe that he wants to strip things away and build things up. And we as people have to count the cost. What is the cost of revival? It's not going to happen in set hours. It's not going to happen on the morning. You happen to wake up at 4 a.m. and you feel great. And now you're ready for revival. And so like just cue easy button from Staples. That's not how revival happens. Revival is doing something that's uncomfortable, laying some things down and picking some things of God up. And so what I want to do is I just want to open this altar And if you want to stick around today, and if you want to pray that God would revive you, that he would give you a fresh life, a fresh use, a freshness in your spirit. Maybe you've been weighed down by expectations and jobs and all the things that you have to do and what's coming next and what are the plans. And I believe God just wants to be this a time that we're hungry for him. And I know that we're already pushing time. I recognize that. And so if you need to leave, that is okay. This is a time that we are going to open the altar. And if you just want something new, if you want to be revived, I want to invite you up. Lay down, kneel, stand, walk around. But can we just invite him into this space? God, right now, we just thank you. God, we thank you for the way you've called us. God, we thank you for what you've spoken to us. God, I thank you for what we are on the edge of. God, as we stand here looking over the valley of dry bones, God, maybe it's our dreams, maybe it's opportunities, God, maybe it's relationships that feel dry and dead, maybe it's our future and our vision that feels impossible and unattainable. God, maybe it's freedom from addictions and mindsets and anxiety and depression. God, whatever that might be that looks right now to us like a valley of dry bones. God, I just pray that you would give us the tenacity, God, to, like Ezekiel, hunger after you. God, a tenacity to come to you and say, God, remove things, purify us. God, that we would speak and proclaim boldly over our vision, over our lives, over our dreams, over our uses. God, that you would come into our lives. And God, out of our free will, out of our acts of obedience, God, that we would see you move. We believe in doing life together. If you want to connect with us, you can visit us online at thisischange.org or any social media platform at This Is Change PHL. Thanks for joining us and have an amazing week.